Hello, I'm Tara Ruckman. And I'm Stephanie Howe, and we are Control the Chaos EDU. Are you burnt out? Are you feeling frustrated or overwhelmed? Or maybe it's the opposite, and you're a go-getter and want to level up. Then it's time to dive in with real talk and solution-focused conversations. Hello, good morning, and welcome back to Breaking Down PBIS, today's Control the Chaos Conversation. So I'm pretty excited about this episode, clearly because, you know, that's one of my fortes is behavior. I, um, it's like my favorite thing to talk about. I could talk about it all day long. I know probably people could get sick of listening to me talk about it, but, um, I have lived in multiple different countries and have had the opportunity to have life help me experience human behavior as well as a textbook. And I think sometimes you learn more about that through, you know, life experiences than you do in a textbook sometimes. But nonetheless, here we are, Control the Chaos Conversation, and we're talking about PBIS. And we are talking about the first 20 days of school. So kind of what brought us to this conversation is, so I work in all the schools in our district. And one of the things that um, I noticed this past year is that we're, we're implementing PBIS in our school district and, and have been for years but all of our schools are in different places. If you go to one school, they have a school-wide token economy, they have culture, they have everybody speaking the language, um, they have a full PBIS team. You go to their meetings, they have an agenda, they have data they're talking about. And then you go to another school within the same district and there's like three people on the team. We we aren't talking about data. And this is not any of the staff members' fault, by the way. I'm not saying anything negative. But we've had a changeover of administration. So it, it's a struggle to keep the program going, right? So when you think about that, who are the people that keep it going? Because we do have turnover in administrators sometimes. Um, we do have some turnover in staff, but if you get that core staff and you start building that culture, then it doesn't go away just because you have one or two staff members change. So that's what I was finding throughout the district because I was popping into all these different PBIS meetings and, and some teams were really great and some teams just had no clue or no buy-in. And then we also started seeing some of those roadblocks, right, where you have different grade levels and you're thinking PBIS doesn't work because it's high school. Um, or, you know, these are older kids. They're not PBIS. You can't buy them. Um, so which leads us to one of our myths that we'll talk about later you're not going to bribe a high schooler, right? But it's not about bribing, so we'll get to that. Um, so we're just going to talk, start talking about the why. 
what's the why of PBIS is um, there's lots of whys. Steph, you want to get started on our why of PBIS? Yeah, and I just want to kind of also um, kind of talk about my experience with PBIS. So when I was a teacher, because I don't have the behavior background, um, I just, you know, I have like the instructional side of everything, I think. And that's where my mind goes first is like instructional engagement and resources and like that kind of like that's just more natural to me than behavior. And I mean, one of the reasons that I reached out to Tara is because I'm not strong in behavior. Like teachers will be like, I have this kid doing this. And I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, that's just not a thing that's really strong for me. And so um, when I was first teaching, I feel like for me, like we had a PBIS committee, like, you know, every building does that, that runs PBIS. And I was not on the committee. Um, and I, I kind of stayed out of PBIS. I didn't realize that it was like a whole building thing, but I think I was so overwhelmed my first year and I wish going back, I would have gotten more involved, um, the first couple years with PBIS because it would have helped me in every other aspect of my classroom where before I had the engaged, I mean, I was a fun teacher. I had the games. I had um, all the fun activities. My kids loved coming to my classroom, but I didn't have the knowledge to be like, hey, voice level needs to be a two. Like we're playing this game and voice level is like we're outside on the playground and yeah it's fun but then other teachers were like oh my gosh you know like stephanie is teaching her class today and and they're all going crazy um so, <laughs> so pbis like was very difficult for me because i think i just assumed kids knew i assumed that they would just follow the rules and i think as a first year teacher i was like oh i don't need pbis right now like that will come later um, I need to focus on the content. I need to focus on all these things because like as a first year teacher, it is difficult. There's all these different things thrown at you. But I think one thing, if I could go back, it would be to really invest my time in PBIS because I didn't. <laughs> um, and so it was sometimes difficult. Like my kids might be good. I might've let things go at the beginning of the year because I'm like, oh, that's a minor behavior. And then by Christmas, these kids, you know, are talking out, they're blurting out um, because they got the response from me that that was okay at the beginning of the year. But you make mistakes, right? <laughs> but that's the one thing. If I could go back, um, I'd want to focus on more. Oh, that's such a good story. I mean, it's not a good story, but it is a good story. So we have kind of, we have different whys, but then the actual why of PBIS, when you think about why, why do you implement PBIS in your classroom? What, what are the results of it? What are the consequences, basically what happens immediately after? Um, so the why is you are really focusing in on improving that behavioral and social emotional outcomes. It's not just about um, bribery, but it is really teaching and modeling students what those expectations are. And it centers a lot around if you do have um, social emotional learning standards in your state, um, you're building that social emotional environment 
to support students with different needs. And it is um, a three-tier system. It is not bribing students, right? It's just like if you have RTI in your building, um, you have reading RTI and math RTI, the tiers are the same. So you have 80% of your kids in that green tier, that tier one, that you're teaching those classroom expectations. We have students that come from so many different backgrounds. When you really look, you know, across ours, we have over 60 languages. Many school districts don't have 60 languages when you look at the smaller schools, but you do have so many diverse backgrounds still without having 60 languages, right? You have students that come from wealthy families, students that come from not as wealthy families, middle-class families, and they have maybe a mom that works all the time or maybe a dad that works all the time. Student, students are taught different expectations or maybe they have a blended family where they go to mom's house and dad's house and they have to learn different expectations at a young age. I think about my kids, you know, my ex-husband and I divorced when my kids were, my daughter was three and my son was two. And they had to learn at a very young age that there were different rules and expectations at mom's house and different rules and expectations at dad's house. So they were raised from a very young age, learning that there's different expectations in different environments. Some kids don't have that. They, they don't under, have the grasp of understanding at a young age that there's different expectations at school than there is at home. So they struggle with self-regulation or they go into kindergarten and maybe they cry to get what they want. Um, so there's lots of different examples of um, how it could help improve that behavior and social emotional learning outcome. Yeah, and I think we can kind of talk about some maybe of the myths of PBIS, just like when I thought, you know, I just assumed kids knew the rules. Like that, that's a big myth, right? Like they don't always know um, what, how or what to behave in some environments. Um, so that was something that I really had to learn and I really had to focus on like, okay, Students, I want them to do this. And I just assumed that they knew. And then it was chaos in the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. So that goes right along. PBIS rewards are not for students that are doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? It's really the building foundational skills, teaching expectations in order to be successful. Just like we've talked about teaching those executive functioning skills, um, the organization, but teaching those expectations because our students come from many different cultural, disadvantaged, developmental backgrounds and developing those skills. So those two things kind of go hand in hand, the why and the myth, that number one myth, um, we can debunk it right off the bat when we talk about our first why. Another why um, is really building positive school culture, right? Creating that language around the school that everybody is speaking. So we're going to say 
to sing box or Harmon Heroes, it's language that you hear from every single teacher and admin and student in the building. Those are just two small examples of, of things that maybe you might hear or sorry, one of those don't exist, but we had conversation around it. One of them does, but it, it's creating that language, right? Who's going to be the Harmon hero for, um, you know, being a leader and seeing those expectations. So you create those expectations and then you create a positive school climate around it. And when everybody's speaking the same language, I mean, it, it moves students. Think, think about that. When everybody's speaking, you hear it on the announcements, you hear it in the hallway. Are you being a hero today? What, what is the language you're speaking? What is the language your staff is speaking as teachers? Um, if Steph is in pod A and I'm in pod B, we're not yet anywhere near each other, but any kid that walks around us, they're hearing us speak the same language. That moves the needle and then leads us to our next why of um, reduces our office discipline and referrals, right? Because we're increasing that positive, creating that positive school climate and decreasing the discipline referrals and practices because we're creating that positive culture and environment. Yeah, and if you're decreasing those um, behaviors, that academic growth is another, you know, why. Like a lot of teachers might not have that behavior background um, because they don't they don't really teach that in college, you know, like it's not a huge focus um, in college or when you're thinking about going into teaching or education. And so that academic growth is a lot of teachers, you know, focus and why. But when you can cut those behaviors down, students are able to grow in your classroom um, compared to a classroom that might have more interruptions or uh, behavior problems. Yeah, absolutely. So that's leading us into more myths, right? Yeah. PBIS, when you talk about behavior problems, um, some of the, there's one myth behind PBIS that school, that means we're not disciplining students. That is not the case. PBIS doesn't mean that there's going to be no discipline and we're not allowed to punish behavior. It just means that we're going to have this three-tiered system that's implemented and the minor infractions are, we're going to try to implement this three-tiered system so that the minor infractions don't become bigger problems and they don't become bigger discipline issues by supporting that student that is having trouble with either some tier two or tier three support, depending on what their problem looks like. So that way we can prevent them to, from continuing to escalate and continuing to have issues by by providing that inter intervention. Going back to that reading and math RTI model, right? So if a student is struggling and they qualify for a tier two or tier three level, we're providing that, in that intervention so the gap doesn't get bigger, right? We're trying to reduce the gap between them and their peers. That's PBIS. You have a student that's struggling with behavior. They qualify for tier two 
by whatever your qualifications are within your school system. We're providing them information so the gap doesn't get bigger between them and their peers. And then they start to, to see an increase of tier two or tier three behaviors or worse. So it we are providing that teaching, but it doesn't mean that there's no place for discipline. It just means that we're providing this system to try to keep the infractions lower. And there is a place for discipline. Um, and it, you know, if there is a bigger issue, of course there has to be some discipline, right? You can't go completely without discipline or completely without, but it's just related to, um, and I, I hate this saying, but love this saying at the same time, um, you, you have an eye for an eye. So if it's minor, it's going to hopefully stay minor. If it's bigger, there might be a place where discipline would be interjected into a situation. So debunk that myth right away. If you're thinking about PBIS or you know, you're struggling to implement PBIS language in your classroom because you think, well, these kids just need to be punished. There is a place for that. But we also have this tier three system to support our kids. We don't we don't punish the kids that can't read. Right. No, um, <laughs> no. They just sit quietly in the back of the room um, and fly under the radar. Unfortunately, when you have a student that struggles with behavior, it never flies under the radar because most everybody can see it. I mean, there there are situations that you don't see it because of a student withdrawal, a different type of behavior, but it's hard for those students to fly under the radar because they're disrupting your class. So just think about that as the big picture. Um, this is one of the roadblocks as well that we sometimes we don't have that teacher buy-in because they think that kids need to be punished. Kids, kids will have a punishment for misbehavior if that's what it warrants. Yeah, and so what are maybe some strategies or things teachers can do in their classroom um, to help with keeping you know those tier one behaviors or tier two students successful in that classroom environment? So PBIS has five core practices. Um, the five core practices are define your school-wide expectations. Um, it could be your classroom expectations. Teach and practice. And then monitor and acknowledge. And respond instructionally. And then make decisions. So those are the five core practices of PBIS. So when you're thinking about the classroom, right, the matrix should already be, be defined within your school. Um, if it's not, then you would be working on your team to define your matrix. You define your matrix with your students. You have them buy into that. You share P what PBI is. P P whoa. Mm -hmm. PBIS is. And then once you share what it is, then you start to break down the matrix. So teach and practice is where we're at. So that's what the 20 day plan is. Um, the 20, the first 20 days of school, you're breaking down each portion of your PBIS matrix. You're like chunking it because if you go over and you, you all, you 
you go over the matrix on the first day of school because you talk about those school-wide expectations. But I can guarantee you that if you go over it the first day of school, guess what? You think they're remembering half of that? Yeah. And I think for me, my first year, I mean, I remember going over the expectations in the matrix and checked it off my list. Next thing. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's what 20 days of PBIS is. It's breaking down the matrix each day. And then once you've broken down the matrix, you have a plan. Um, we were creating a plan and breaking down the matrix for you. So um, you may be able to get into that plan and tweak some of it and, you know, uh, make modify it to your needs. But then you teach and practice. It's not just about sharing the matrix, right, and reading the matrix, but it's about teaching and practicing those skills. So when you have restroom break, okay, so you're teaching and practicing maybe what your classroom procedure is, and then maybe in small, you know, this is how we use the classroom piece. So that way, you know, kids know exactly how to ask for the pass, where to get the pass, model that. Or another one is office expectations. So how do you enter into the office? Where do you sit? Um, who do you need to talk to? What's your procedure for getting a counselor? So all of those expectations, you know, kids don't just know that I need, when I want to speak with a counselor, I just, they just walk to the office and go, there might, the counselor might be with somebody else. They might have a small group they're doing. They might be out in a meeting. So what is the procedure? How do I practice it? What form do I fill out? And let them actually practice it practice filling out the form, practice walking through all of those things. Um, another one, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah, let's just go through the plan. Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so on day one and two, you'll have your matrix. And we kind of suggested, again, this is an idea for you to break up those 20 days. Because I know for me, when I taught, I just did a one day, hey, here's the matrix, all right, we're gonna get into uh, instruction and learning. And then I would have behaviors um, that were pretty minor, but then they would get bigger and bigger. And then October is the month that teachers just sometimes dread behavior goes up um, because I let those minor things go. And so for the first two days, it's classroom um, standard operating procedures. We do have a course that we offer on <clears throat> standard operating procedures where you are able to kind of go in and create your operating procedures that are customized for your classroom um, and also kind of using your plan to help guide you as well. So if you're interested in that course, make sure you sign up. Um, you'll get feedback along the way if you send us an email and ask us to review information or whatever you need help with. And then what you want to do after you have those standard operating procedures is start to like review those operating procedures. Um, I like to play review games. One of my favorite ones is like a scavenger hunt where students will 
go and find how to check out a book. And then they actually like go and kind of practice to do it in a scavenger hunt way. Um, Tara, what are some of your favorite games? I know what you're going to say, but I want you to say it. <laughs> the diamond discussions. No, I thought you were going to talk about the scoot game. <laughs> oh, the scoot game. That is my favorite. Um, I don't know why. Cause I think, cause we talked about diamond discussions yesterday. Um, yeah. My brain was going in a different direction. My, I love behavior scoot where you have your little pieces of paper taped up or whatever attached or wherever around your room. And you have however many kids you, you want, like you have 28 kids, then you have 28 stations where they go around the room and they have to answer questions to review the behavior expectations. So one of them might look like when I go to the library, the first thing I need to do it to check out a book is this. When I am in the hallway, the number one expectation is this. Or maybe it'll be a true or false question where you might, they might just have to answer true or false to something instead of an open-ended question. So you can vary the questions however you want, but it's all about policies and procedures. You get, get that movement. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love reviewing that way because... I mean, let's face it, it's the beginning of the year. The kids are not wanting and don't have the stamina to sit in their seat that long. So it's a way to get them up and moving and getting those policies and procedures in place. And it's also a way when you really think about it to practice the classroom procedures because your voice level, kids get excited when they're up out of their seats and moving around. And they have the tendency to start raising their voice levels and it could get a little bit chaotic with people jumping in for conversation when you go over each of the questions at the end. So it's a good way to also practice your your voice level and your your classroom standing operating procedures and using using that language within your classroom. Yeah, and then on day three and four, you're going to start to review that PVIS matrix. Um, a couple of our different buildings are doing staggered starts, so that's why that's going to happen on day three and four, um, because you kind of want to, you know, create your classroom culture those first two days. And then when you have your students, you're ready to view review that matrix for the building. And so what I would do is kind of look over your matrix for your building first as a teacher, just to kind of review it for the year, see if there was any changes um, that were being made from last year to this year. And then one of the activities that we have is a diamond discussion um, that Tara kind of leaked out earlier. Um, but with the diamond discussion, this is a fun way to introduce new concepts. It's a jigsaw model. Um, you don't just have to do it with PBIS. You can use it with other content areas as well. But what happens is there's going to be about six groups um, based on the matrix. So we have restroom, cafeteria, hallway, playground, office, and classroom. Students are going to silently, this is like their thinking time, and they're going to just write um, what, write what they notice about the matrix for their area. So if they're looking at the restroom, what do they notice and when, how should they behave? Um, and then they're just writing it. You can do this digital. You can do it on a post-it note. You can do it on a piece of paper and um, set timers. I would say like about five minutes, give them time to really look into this matrix 
And it might be a two-day activity where you pause after a certain step and you finish up the activity another day. On step two, then the students will read their responses to the group. So they're gonna share with the group what they noticed, what they kind of interpreted, um, and kind of have that conversation as a group. And it's just gonna kind of rotate from student to student. Every student can have 30 seconds to a minute to speak. And then after they share, they're going to write a summary. So step three is that summary where students are going to agree and disagree on that, like, what are we going to share to the class? What is the main takeaway from this session or this um, group of matrix roles? And what did we really pull out from this? And so again, they're talking, they're collaborating, they're coming up with that summary. And then step four um, is just kind of an extension activity, but students will create a poster, presentation, video, something, and they're going to share their part of the matrix with the class. So this might be on day two where the students are creating um, their part of the matrix to explain. And then they're going to do that jigsaw where they come back together and they are going to present to the group and maybe they have two minutes each to present. Um, so a great way to get students kind of involved in the learning with that diamond discussion activity. I'm so excited about this. And the diamond discussion can be used in anything. So that's a really great activity when you just way beyond PBIS matrix. So I'm excited. We're actually doing a diamond discussion with new staff. So I'm excited to see how that works um, and get that going. I yeah. And then on days 5, 10, 15, and 20, these are going to be your Fridays. Um, great for review. So you want to continually to go over reteach any misconceptions, look at your week, review what's going on. Like, were students, did they get to the gym correctly? Did they get to lunch correctly? Did they um, go to the bathroom or were there any issues? And if there were issues, let's review those concepts with the students um, to make sure that they understand and be very proactive rather than reactive over that. And there's, I mean, there's so many ways too that you can think about and make this fun. So it's not just you reading off the matrix and a simple discussion. You can do true and false. You can do Jeopardy. You can create a video. You can do a scavenger hunt. You can play charades. You could do a QR break-in. There's so many ways to just review a Kahoot that it's, you know, make it interesting so it's not the same thing day after day with you standing up in front of the classroom and just preaching those expectations. Get the students interactive in talking about those expectations, reviewing those expectations, learning everything interactive. You're going to have a bigger buy-in from the students and they're also, right, it's going to stick. I mean, it's not just you standing up in front of that room and preaching to them what the expectations are, but getting them really involved. So when you get to that spiral review day on Fridays, just continue to mix it up for them to keep them engaged in what you're doing so that it's not just a, a teacher led station. Yeah, and I think on day six, um, we're talking about arrival and leaving the classroom or building. Um, there's kind of, we want to talk about your like classroom because we know junior high, high school, your bell's ringing. And with that, you have a certain procedure for how you end your class. Go over that with your students and practice it. 
And then for the building, what happens when uh, the bell rings for the end of the day and students need to go to the buses? How do they get there? What do they need to do? Do they touch the signs up um, and act like they're a basketball player dunking? Or do they just walk like a normal student? Um, so really just reviewing that with students and maybe showing a map can really help as well. Yeah, and you can model it too. Like, let's talk about, let's pull up, up a couple kids to the front of the room and let's talk about, um, let's show a bad example of how you walk down the hallway or you walk to the buses or you get to the buses and let's show a good example of how you get there. So that is, I think, part of that teaching and modeling component making the good examples and the bad examples. So you're, there's many things that you could do when you're talking about that teaching and modeling piece. So then we get into day seven, eight, nine, before we get to 10, our next spiral review day. And these are several different things, hallway expectations, restroom expectations. And we're just looking at the matrix, teaching it, showing the matrix, discussing the details of the classroom expectations and the matrix expectations. And then we go into group work expectations. Um, this may not be a part of your matrix um, specifically, but also it's something that clearly we need to teach early on in the school year because group work is so important to our classroom, that collaboration, how do we respect others, um, different group work, group work expectations. We like to get that in early on. Um, there's also another 20 days of group work that if you want to add in there, do you wanna tell us a little bit about the 20 days of group work, Steph? Yeah, group work can be difficult. And so again, you gotta teach those expectations and procedures. Um, but group work is a very high instructional strategy that you're able to use in your classroom. And so with group work, um, looking over the 20 days, there's some really good instructional strategies to kind of just help students prepare for bigger projects in your classroom. Um, so one's like a silent interview. Another one is on task partners. So they're gonna check their partner whenever you give them a prompt. And if they do it, they get like a check mark. And if they get so many um, check marks, maybe they get a prize or something like that. Um, there is also talking about um, like response cards and that they have to agree. So talking with other individuals and agreeing and dis disagreeing respectfully is huge. And so just preparing students with this 20 day plan can help you when you are going to use group works mid-year. Um, and there are, again, there's some really good ones. One of them that I really liked was everybody was working on a group project, but every student had to use a different color. So one student might be pink, one student might be blue, another orange, another student might be um, yellow. And I can see who is collaborating, who is working together on that finished product by the colors that they wrote in. Um, so again, just some really good strategies in slowly introducing students to working with a partner and getting them up to that group um, of three to four students. So that way mid-year, you're able to have students collaborate um, even widely. And then we go again back to our spiral review because it's a Friday and review all of the concepts that we have been reviewing the first couple of weeks. And then we go into areas such as like school grounds. 
what are your expectations on recess and common areas? And by this time, right, you've had students that are out on recess. I mean, from day one, they're in the common areas from day one, if you're at the high school. Um, but what does that look like? Again, yes, we have taught this in the beginning of the year, but we're going back to it because as we know, just like reading, just like math, you teach a concept once, you don't you don't walk away and never teach it again. So we're reviewing what the school grounds are. Maybe you have a smart lab or a computer lab or other areas of the building that you need to teach expectations to. Again, going back to that office expectation, counseling expectation, what does that look like? Teach and model those areas of how a student would um, schedule an appointment with a counselor or how they, where they would go when they're in the office and who they need to talk to. So when I come to the office for X, Y, and Z, I need to go here. When I come to the office for A, B, and C, I need to go here. So I think just, you know, using those, those teach and model and that expectation of reminders. So that brings us again back to our spiral review on the last 20 day and we're continuing to provide those interactive games, review games, whatever activity, diamond discussion, different things that you want to do to go back and reviews. Um, the one imp important thing I would like to know, one of the roadblocks on here is time, right? Like, I got to assess, I got to do this in the first 20 days, we have to do um, I you know, testing for goals, we need to do testing for iReady. There's all kinds of things that are going on in those first 20 days. But all of this is just 10 to 15 minutes a day. So where can you do it? You can do it in your morning meeting. You can do it in your ENI time. You can do it in, if you have another period of time throughout your day, we have something called paw time in some of our buildings because we're panthers and tigers. So we have paw time. So just getting past that roadblock of what you go over and the time you spend in the beginning of the year is going to save you time in the end. It's going to help create that positive culture and, and continue to decrease the amount of office referrals and increase that academic growth. Yeah, and I think too, even if you don't have a whole amount of time to maybe finish an activity, split it up, do it in multiple days. And instead of 20 days, it's a 40 day plan. Right. Um, that, that's totally okay. Um, we were just trying to say, think, okay, what can we do the first 20 days? But this shouldn't just stop after 20 days. It should keep on going. Um, so again, if you only have five minutes that you can do this, that's fine. Just just kind of go over some of them and then maybe you start one part of the diamond discussion and then the next day you do another part and the following part. And it might take a week to finish and that, that's okay. As long as you're kind of starting to go over the expectations and um, roles and going over PBIS with your students, I think that's an important piece no matter how much time you spend on it. And creating that language mm -hmm. and culture within your classroom and within your building so that you're speaking the, the same language. 
There's one more roadblock. I know that this episode is, is, is a little bit longer, um, but there's one more roadblock that I want to talk about. And this is really more the elementary level. The dreaded clip chart. PBIS even has an article called Ditch the Clip. Okay. Why? Why? Because I know when my kids were little, I remember my son having a clip chart and coming home and saying, oh, I stayed on green today. Oh, you moved to yellow. Why did you move to yellow? And me getting upset as a parent because you moved to yellow or red. This, this was before I had a big background in behavior and I thought that was okay. But think about it. Think about if it was you and you are in a professional learning. Do you have somebody calling you out because you're out on the phone and embarrassing you in front of a group of 20 staff members, 26, 27, 28 staff members? Heck no, you wouldn't like it. What would that do to your relationship with the speaker? I mean, it would start tearing it down right away. So we praise in public, right? And we correct in private. And I think the um, same is in social media too. You know, like digital space, physical space. Um, if you're using like a chat with your students, you've got to be careful too as well. 100%. So get rid of that clip chart, throw it in the trash because that is not a PBIS practice whatsoever. We're not calling students out publicly and that's what a clip chart does. We're calling, we're, we're not only calling students out publicly, but then we're creating a visual of the students being called out publicly when we're moving their clip down if they're having a struggling day. So PBIS is about that positive language and creating a, a structured system to support students with needs. We don't call students out that can't read or don't have the right math calculation skills. So why are we calling them out publicly um, with a clip chart? And, you know, imagine, imagine if you're reading something, oh, Susie got a word wrong. Let's clip her down to yellow because she didn't get her word right when she was reading. We don't do that, right? So why do we clip chart for our kiddos that struggle with behavior? So get rid of the clip charts, start creating that positive language in your classroom, building that culture and get ready for the 20 days of PBIS. Man, you're, you're, you're fired up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so your call to action again is to try the plan. If it's 20 days, great. If you're going to do 40 and take it and kind of break it down, even more awesome. But again, continue this throughout the year, um, and you're going to just have better behavior, and that academic growth will continuously go up as well. So until next time, make sure you control the chaos and you focus on PBIS and explaining the expectations to your students this school year. Thanks for listening to Control the Chaos EDU. Check out the description for show notes. 
We look forward to connecting with you on social media. Subscribe to the weekly podcast so you never miss an episode. Control the chaos. Until next time.